0: As we continue our sermon series today, we affirm together that we are a family of faith, a family of faith. And as we affirm that together, once again, I want to pull up our mission statement before you so that you can see it, and I want us to read it again together so that we can continue to, well, lean into it as a church family, being more cognizant of what it is that we say that we are. And I would invite you to read it with me if you are able to read it on the screen or if you need to use your bulletin that's why we have things in print so uh if you look at the front of your bulletin it's also there at the very top um, in smaller print friends we are a family of faith called to grow in the love of christ share that good news and serve the world a family of faith See, it's the word faith that defines our family. It's what brings this family together. It's the common thread that centers us and guides us. And the beauty of the church is that this family of faith is that we are a diverse group of people who come from many different backgrounds and upbringings, and yet we are united and drawn together by the same faith in Jesus as Lord. We are a people of faith, often called believers, who trust in God together, and our faith proclaims that we trust God in everything, that we trust that God is real and that God is who God says He is, that God has called us together into His life and to follow in His ways, trusting Him in everything, including our salvation. Yet it's important for us to understand that while we have faith in God, that faith is more than just believing. We often speak of faith as something that we have or something that we possess, and we use that often sort of as a noun. But faith is also a verb. Faith is an action that often requires risk. And I believe that our scripture reading today from Mark's gospel is a testament to such faith. You see, Jesus' ministry in Mark begins with his baptism in the Jordan River by John the Baptist. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. And after his baptism, the Spirit of God leads him into the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by Satan. Overcoming that temptation, Jesus then goes out into Galilee and he begins his ministry preaching the good news. And his message was real simple. Repent and believe the good news of God's forgiveness. That is what Jesus teaches and preaches, and as he does so, he goes into the surrounding areas and villages and he begins to heal the sick. Not only that, Jesus begins to cast out the demon possessed. And in the chapter just before the chapter that we began with in chapter 2, Jesus even does the unthinkable and he goes and he touches a leper with a horrible skin disease, who was considered untouchable by everyone there in their community. And in touching him, Jesus himself is not defiled, but he makes this man clean. Well, as you can imagine, Jesus's miraculous powers are not normal. And people begin to talk about that, what they've seen and what they've heard. And the the news about Jesus begins to spread like wildfire around that community in that region. So Jesus has just come home now to Capernaum and more than likely he is staying at Simon Peter's home. But the word is spread that Jesus is there and because he is there everyone has flocked to see him and they have gathered there in that house and filled it to where there is no room left and it is overflowing in and outside the house and around the house and into the street. Rather than sending the people away from him, Mark tells us that Jesus began preaching the word of God to them. Mark then tells us this, Some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, this is an interesting situation because while many had gathered to see Jesus for themselves, there were some who actually had no chance or ability to do so, just like this paralytic. Many who gathered at the house to see Jesus would have passed by this man who was sitting on the street. They would have known this man day in and day out if they had lived in Capernaum because he would have been a beggar who would have been dependent on the generosity of others to care for him because he could not care for himself. But truth be told, this man would have benefited more than most of those who had gone to see Jesus at that house on that particular day. And while there were many who ignored his situation... who passed him by on their way to seek Jesus for themselves, there happened to be at least four men who acknowledged his presence, acknowledged his situation, and they were determined to do something about it. Caring for his well-being, they carried him to the house so that he could meet Jesus face to face. However, carrying this man on a mat through the front door wasn't going to happen because people were pushing and shoving to hold their place in line to see Jesus. Yet the enormity of the crowds didn't scare them away. The complexity of how they would get them in the house didn't alter their decision to give up. And the inability to do things in a traditional way didn't stifle their willingness to persevere. You see, their faith in Jesus' ability to heal him is what drove them to this radical plan of action. And honestly, I have to tell you, this was quite risky. You see, in our day and age, we often talk about the word liability an awful lot. Because we recognize that if something takes risk, that there's a liability involved in that. There's a consequence, the possibility that someone might get hurt or something might go wrong. As we read this story again, think about that for a moment. Talk about liability. These men were climbing up on top of a roof with a paralyzed man on a roof. And it's quite possible that they could have dropped him to his death, or they could have fallen off themselves and gotten seriously hurt. Not only that, they tore the thatch of the roof open, which would have been fairly easy to do, but the problem is they were destroying the roof of the home owner, and in doing so, part of that roof would have fallen in on the crowd who had assembled there with Jesus. And to top it off, to top it off, they interrupted Jesus while he was preaching his message to them, causing a commotion by lowering this paralyzed man on his mat before the Lord. You would think in doing so, Jesus would have scolded them for their foolishness, but he doesn't. And he doesn't give them a lesson on hospitality, nor ask them to pay the homeowner for the damages that they've caused, and he doesn't even do what they expect him to do, which is heal the man. Mark says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, child, your sins are forgiven. He commends their faith, not the faith of the paralyzed man, and he takes action himself. He doesn't tell him to get up and take his mat and to go home. He doesn't heal him immediately of his infirmity. He goes much deeper than that. He forgives him of his sins. Now, you have to understand that in Jesus' day that many believed that this man was paralyzed because of his sins. They attributed his infirmity as God's punishment for unconfessed sin. This is thought process that we think about, and we would say, wait, that sounds kind of weird to us today. It came from the Old Testament. It came from the book of Deuteronomy. It came from the prophets. Even the Apostle Paul, in some of his writings, connects sin and sickness together. But Jesus doesn't acknowledge this one way or the other. He simply pardons him of his sin. And in doing so, this upsets some of the scribes, the teachers of the law, who have gathered there to see him. And they begin to believe that Jesus now is making himself equal with God, that he is a blasphemer. Because they know that only God alone can forgive sins. And to be honest with you, they're absolutely right about that. But the problem is, they don't realize that God is standing right there in front of them in Jesus. Jesus being God in the flesh, reads their minds. And in reading their minds, he addresses their inward thoughts openly. He argues that offering forgiveness is actually easier than healing the man, although only God could say such a thing, since forgiveness can only be granted by God alone. Jesus then proves his authority to them, saying, But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. The paralytic trusts Jesus' command to move. Affirming his own faith in this moment, he stumbles to get on his two feet for the first time. Then slowly, Putting one foot in front of the other, he walks through the crowd who is gathered there and out of the house. Everyone there was amazed at what they had just witnessed. There was no denying the miracle because they knew this man. They've seen this paralytic on his mat day after day begging for help. They've passed by him. They know that this is real. And even though they're amazed at what Jesus has done, amazed that this paralytic had finally been healed, some there, particularly the scribes, would remain paralyzed in unbelief. You see, Jesus' response to the paralytic was shocking in that he didn't immediately heal him of his infirmity. He dealt with something much deeper than his inability to walk. You have to think about it. This man had been told for years that he was getting what he deserved from God. And I am sure that guilt plagued his heart, even to the point of believing that God could never forgive him. You see, Jesus not only knew the thoughts of those who thought that he was a blasphemer, Jesus also knew the thoughts of the paralyzed man who lay there before him. And looking into his eyes, he calls this grown man child, and he cleanses him of his sin. He pronounces God's good news in front of the crowds who pronounce that this man was a sinner, essentially making it known that God has restored him and reconciled him. You see, this paralytic's heart needed to be healed even more so than his legs. But Jesus, being Jesus, refuses to ignore his physical infirmity. And so he uses it as an opportunity to declare his authority before all who had gathered there that day. And in doing so, this man's life was forever changed because of a few good men who stopped at nothing to ensure that he encountered Jesus. Their faith wasn't passive. It wasn't just something that they possessed. It moved them into action to take a risk, not knowing what would happen. I don't know if you caught it when we read the scripture to begin with, but the scripture says, when Jesus saw their faith, Most often when we read the Gospels, we find that Jesus is speaking to someone who's approached him and who has come in faith that he can heal them. And generally he responds to the individual's faith. But in this particular passage, it had nothing to do with the paralytic at all. It had to do with the people who brought this man to Jesus. It was their collective faith that moved Jesus to action. James says it this way. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. You see, God has called us together as a family of faith. We all trust and believe in Jesus as Lord. And we know that Jesus has the ability and the power to heal the sick in body and in soul. We know that Jesus has the ability to change and transform the lives of even the worst of sinners. Yet, so often our faith, our trust and belief in Jesus, goes no further than this. Our faith can easily become passive. And we essentially become just another person in the crowd seeking Jesus, but not paying attention to those around us. But our faith is not just something to possess or something to affirm through a creed that we recite together as church. Our faith is meant to move us beyond ourselves to be risk takers who trust in the God who blesses our radical and crazy willingness to serve in his name. This kind of faith requires us to be unselfish with our time. It requires us to consider the needs of others around us and how we might bring them to Jesus. This faith doesn't give up easily when the deck seems stacked against us. Instead, it finds creativity in adverse situations. It is fearless in the face of liability, and it perseveres even when challenged. It's a faith that trusts that if God is calling us to move, that God will make a way for it to happen as we work together with Him. Just a couple of weeks ago, I received an email from a couple of church members about a desire to help residents from Deerfield Ridge get to church on Sunday mornings. You see, when our congregation went caroling during the Advent season, We had the opportunity to speak with some of the residents, and a few of them seemed to like our group and decided they would like to be here on Sunday mornings. Crazy, I know, but they expressed that to some of our folks. But they have no way of getting here on their own. So an email went out asking, well, what can we do about this? I have to be honest with you. My first thought was liability 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 how do you get someone who struggles with mobility into a church bus and out of a church bus and into the church and back onto the church bus and safely back down the road there's also issues of coordinating this with their families to make sure that they're okay with this and for us to provide this service to them But it's true, it's easy for us to look at the challenges of doing such ministry and decide that there's just too much liability to make it happen. The truth is, it's totally possible to do it. We have the means, we have a vehicle, we are just down the road, not even a mile. We just need volunteers who are committed to help making it happen. People who are willing to take that risk. It's not just the elderly, though, who could benefit from such action. There are many college students at ASU who do not have cars to drive to church on Sunday mornings. Many of them, I find, would actually like to go to church, but they don't have a way to get here. So many of them walk to a nearby church, but I find that sometimes that isn't always the right fit for them. And if a nearby church doesn't feel like home, well, it would be very easy for them to abandon going to church in a very crucial time in their lives. You know, one of our vision goals is to grow our college ministry. And so I think, well, what might happen if we radically used our bus to bring people to church, to meet Jesus face to face, and to unite with others who believe? This will not happen if we just sit in the pews and pray to God to bring them here in a passive way. We have to be willing to take the risk, to give up our time, and to carry others to Christ. You know, there are many families in our community who have children with special needs, but they cannot find a church home that is equipped to care for and to teach their child. Parents, children with special needs, they struggle. They struggle because their children need a lot of care and a lot of attention, and it often leaves them exhausted, and rarely do they find Sabbath or much respite because there are not enough trained folks to help them. What if our church took the risk to invest in such a ministry With volunteers from our church who were willing to be trained to care for such children. How could God bless those children and those families offering healing in ways beyond our wildest dreams? You see, faith is risky, but I can assure you of one thing it's worth the risk. I say this because Jesus looks at our collective faith together and our willingness to step out of our comfort zones and to do something that brings others to him, and it gives him great pleasure. He doesn't want us to be paralyzed in fear, worrying that we might fail. He wants us to trust in him, knowing that all things are possible. In fact, believe it or not, Jesus actually said that in the Gospel of Matthew. He says to us, truly I tell you, if you have a faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Church. Family. Family of faith. My prayer for us together is that we would allow God to work on us and to move us beyond ourselves to step out in faith, taking the necessary risks together to bring people to Jesus. You see, there are far more opportunities among us than those I just mentioned to you this morning. And it's possible that God could lay something on your heart and call you into action. Sometimes we wonder if it's possible or we think to ourselves, it's impossible to do such things. But that's not the truth. That's not what Jesus says. According to him, if we have faith just as small as a mustard seed, anything will be possible for us. Friends, together... As a family of faith, may we be risk-takers for Jesus, putting our faith into action. May it be so this day and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.